0: The eternal kingdom, when we move into eternity, and we had a description of the new Jerusalem where we will dwell, and it continues uh, in in chapter 22, but not the description of the city itself, but an explanation of what it means. And I just think it's a great passage of scripture. I, I, I had an addendum to your notes that you got by email last week, about the first five verses in chapter 22, but we're going to study them this morning. So read with me. And he showed me a pure river water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. When the Bible starts, it starts in a garden next to a river, starts with the tree of life, and the curse comes in there, And all the Bible deals with the curse. All the Bible deals with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophecy concerning His coming, the prophecy concerning uh, His death, burial, resurrection, the prophecy concerning the new covenant that He will bring. And when we come to this chapter, the Bible closes with the antithesis of that, which is, That creation is going to be what God intended when He created it without the curse of sin. It's going to be a river of life and it is going to be in a a garden area and it's going to be coming from the throne of God and and God will be present. Verse 2, "...in the midst of the river and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were made for the healing of the nations." and there shall be no more curse but the throne of god and the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads there shall be no more night there they need no lamp but light of the sun they they need no lamp nor light of the sun for the lord god gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever this flow, this river, is the river, river of life. It symbolizes the, the never-ending grace of God. It symbolizes that uh, every need will be met through the grace of God throughout all of eternity. When we read about the tree of life, if you remember Genesis, that Adam and Eve, after they sinned, were banned from the garden so they would not partake of the tree of life. And again, God sovereign knew what was going to happen he allowed them to sin and he had denied them the tree of life because had they uh, eaten of the tree of life and a- after they they sinned and that's when he banned them from the garden they would have lived eternally in a fallen body there would have been no redemption uh, of their bodies because they had eaten of the tree of life and so when we come into the eternal state we're going to eat of the tree of life and uh, it will be um, fulfilling and sustaining for us um, when we read about 12 months it means that's continually it's a cycle it is unending it would not be necessarily a different fruit i don't know exactly what it would be is we eat from the tree of life, we eat the leaves or the fruit or what it might be. But it's not so much of what we'll eat, but it's that it is unending. God's grace is unending. An and then we think about actually eating. Will we actually eat it? And it says for the healing of the nations, is what my translation says. But the, the word healing, the root of the word healing is therapeutic. It's Where we get that word from in, out of the Greek. And so therapeutic, it means that it will be for our well-being. We will not need to eat of, of the tree of life. Uh, we will have eternal life, so, but we will enjoy the eating of it. I don't know about you, I enjoy eating. So we'll enjoy the eating of it, and it will be therapeutic for us. It will be, it, it will be a realization of the blessing of God. It will be a realization of the fullness of, of God's creation, and and two, our, our enjoyment. I, I don't know if you've read C.S. Lewis's trilogy, um, and he has these people go to uh, another planet, and again, it's a, they're spiritual trilogies, and you go to another planet, and they eat of the fruit of that planet, and it is a life-giving, joyous, euphoric, Eating of that. How many of you have read about that? I can't think of them. Out, out of. I can't think of the name of the, that tri- trilogy, but but it, it was based upon this: is that you you eat you eat of this and you have this fullness that you haven't experienced, and that's what we're going to do when we eat uh, of the tree of life. There'll be maximum enjo- enjoyment of, of heaven while we're there, and then when we read through verse 35, five, there. And we we read those things here. We we dwell in the presence of God. We see His face. There is no curse there. His mark is on our forehead. Sometimes we don't like to serve people today. Sometimes we don't like to serve each other. Uh, We we may do it out of love. We may do it out of responsibility. But here, we're going to do it out of gratitude and gratefulness. And it is going to be a joyous service, very fulfilling for us. All of us like to do things that are fulfilling to us. You know, whether you mow your lawn and you look back and you think, okay, that's fulfilling, or you clean your house, that's fulfilling, you feel good about what you did, or it's in your work, outside the home, and whatever it is. But here, this is going to be totally fulfillment when we serve Him. And then it says we're going to dwell in the light, that there's no darkness, there's no curse, to, to, to dwell in the light. This this is my interpretation of what that means. There's no fear. There's no worrying about our motive. Um, if we, in our human body, even our redeemed body, if we're honest with ourselves, our motives are often questionable. Even when we give to other people, our motives are often questionable. We do it for self-gratification. We, we do it to assuage our guilt. We, we do it to balance our own consumption. So sometimes our motives are always suspect. They're always tainted by our fallen nature. And you say, Jerry, you're talking about yourself? I'm talking about myself. And unfortunately, I'm talking about you as well. Because that is, that is our nature. The Lord teaches us that. But when we dwell in the light, there, there'll be none of that. All, all that we do will be with the right motive. All we do will be to the glory of God. And then it said we reign. So we're going to reign under the Lord's authority over the new creation. Uh, whatever position we have, we will enjoy it and we will do it for the glory of God. There's a man named A.T. Pearson, and he wrote this. And so <clears throat> I'm going I'm to just give you his rendition of what this means. He said, There'll be perfect restoration, no more curse. Perfect administration, the throne of God and the Lamb. Perfect subordination, we will serve him. Perfect transformation, we shall see his face face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect identification, His name is in our forehead. You think, well, what does that matter? We're all in Heaven. We're all going to dwell in Heaven. What what does that matter? In Heaven, we're still going to be identified with who we were on Earth. Uh, We talked about that in the last few weeks. Uh, We're still going to be identified with who we are on Earth. I'm still going to be Jerry. You're still going to be whoever you are, whatever your name. And, and I, I told you sometimes I have thoughts about that and I wasn't too happy. But but you know what happens with, with, with God's name in my forehead, everyone is equal. It doesn't matter about your race. It doesn't matter about your sex. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, bond or free. See, Paul talked about in the Galatians. It doesn't matter what your background it doesn't matter who you were on earth you're still going to be that person with that background but you are identified with God you're a child of God and everybody's identity is exactly the same I wish we lived like that today there are people who who, who want us to live like that today and I think it's a worthy goal I think it's impossible to achieve because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen body and it's impossible to achieve. We who know Christ should strive to achieve that. We, we should strive. We, we can't make amends for the past but we can, we can live today as if that's what God wants from us and it is what He wants from us in the church. We are to live that way. So perfect identification. There, there will be no class society. There will be no jealousy. There'll be no envy. There'll be no. Uh, the, 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 it would just be gone. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we will enjoy that relationship. It will be without the, the catfighting, if you please. Probably, probably didn't happen in your family. So, perfect identification. His name and our foreword. Perfect illumination. The Lord is the light. Illumination is that we will have a godly understanding of what we went through on earth. We'll have a godly understanding of God's purposes for us. We'll have a godly understanding of His desire for us to be conformed to the image of Christ and the method that He used to achieve that until the day that we died or till the day of our redemption by Christ coming again. We will understand that then. We will understand why we suffered. We will understand why there were times of rejoicing and blessing that led us we we will understand how there came times of great conviction in our lives about what we're doing and how our stewardship is is coming forth we will understand that then we will have this illumination the the lord is our light in that time and uh, we we will not know everything about god We will continue to learn. If we knew everything about God, we would be God. We would be equal to God in knowledge. And that's never possible. He is infinite. And even in heaven, we will be to some degree finite. Not bodily, but in knowledge. And then there is perfect exaltation. We will reign forever and ever. Perfect restoration, administration, subordination, transformation, identification, illumination, perfect exaltation. I don't know about you, that that ought to just make us hopeful. This is our future. This is where we're going. This is what awaits us beyond the curtain one day, whatever that curtain might might be to bring us into the presence of the Lord. And now we come to the last message of the Bible beginning in verse 6. And first, it's about the Word of God itself. Verse 6, Then He said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show His servants the things which must shortly take place. It's really interesting. You come to the end of Scripture, and which is going to be the revealed Word of God for all time this is it. This is all there is. And and he is saying to us, this is faithful and true. This is faithful and true. We say that in theology that this is inerrant and infallible. It's authoritative. It is the Word of God. It's inerrant and it's infallible. It doesn't matter what the society does. It doesn't matter what the society says about the interpretation or when it was written and people had a lack of knowledge of what was going to happen in society and a misunderstanding these prophets of old didn't understand that you would want to identify your sexuality different and they didn't understand and so it can't be true. And, and and the Bible refutes that. Not just here, but it refutes it throughout the Bible. And and so but he ends with that as well. Uh, the the word the the, the Lord God of the Holy Prophet sent His angel to show His servant. Now, why did He say that? Why did He say the Lord God sent His angel to show to John? But the Lord God sent His angel to show His Holy Prophet, who who wrote the Scripture. His Holy Prophets, holy means set aside. They were set aside. did not mean they live without sin it doesn't mean they lived never made mistakes but they were set aside for God's work in writing scripture and proclaiming the word of God and writing it and he led them and guided them as he did John for this passage of scripture as well so he's making it clear not just revelation but all the Bible is, is faithful and true it's faithful and true And then he said, these things sent his angel to show his servants the thing which must shortly take place. Shortly take place. This is going to happen. It's going to be a sudden happening when these things transpire. You know, again, we went back to Jesus' words in Matthew 24, and it's also some in Luke. But in Matthew 24, we've read in our study how Jesus outlined the tribulation and he outlined the millennial kingdom for the Jewish nation. And his words are faithful and true. And Jesus said to us, behold, I come quickly. And he's going to repeat it in verse seven. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy Of this book. The authority of the Bible and the blessedness of obeying the word. There's a warning against being unprepared. Uh, It is a warning that these things are sudden, they're imminent. Uh, Don't be unprepared. Jesus, after he gave the outline of the tribulation and the outline of the millennial kingdom in Matthew 24 and 25, he then gave the parables about the ten virgins, and five unprepared, five prepared, if you remember that. And he, he was giving the illustration with that parable that there are going to be people who have knowledge but they don't have the Holy Spirit. There are going to be people who have knowledge of, of things, they have knowledge of somewhat of the Word of God, but they don't have the Holy Spirit within them. And when He comes, that's too late. That's that they're not qualified. And they're not qualified not because of their bad behavior, they're not qualified because they did not know Him. He used the illustration of a a wedding and someone comes in without a wedding garment and He said, depart from Me you who do lawlessness. Now lawlessness here's a guy just showed up without a wedding garment which means he wasn't prepared for the wedding in the right way. And the Lord called him lawless. Lawless means you were without law It doesn't mean necessarily your bad behavior, but it means that you're not qualified inside the law. And what is the law? It's grace. It's it's the gospel of grace. And that was Jesus' illustration. So when Jesus again repeats here to John, I am coming quickly. Blessed is who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You know, it's, it's one thing to understand prophecy, one thing to study prophecy and try to understand prophecy, and and then we have to respond to it. We have to live as if it is true. That's what keeping it means. Keeping it means that I live today not as if today is all that matters. That I, I I don't know about you, but we're, we're living in what I consider unprecedented times in my lifetime. Uh, we've never seen our world... Like this, I'm not talking about the Republicans and the Democrats. I'm including them, but I'm not limiting it to that. We're not the center of the world, by the way, and so I, I'm not limiting it to that. But we're living in unprecedented times. I don't know if you realize. I, that's my opinion. I just put that in quotes. That's my opinion. And and it's really, to me, it's interesting, and it saddens me to some degree because I I would have liked my grandchildren. To live in the world that I lived in, and grew up in, and got married in, and had children, and had opportunity, and had balance and peace, and a, a reasonableness in, in in our life and in our world, and see that is gone. That's gone, and I don't know all the ramifications of that, but that's gone. We lived in that era, and it's over. And it, we're in a post-Christian world, and we're in a post- in our world here, and we're in a post-Christian understanding of reality. And so anything can happen. One of the theologians I quote from time to time said, what happens is that when, when you reject the truth of the Bible, is that you, you're, you're not limiting yourself to just an error you're opening yourself to every error. And, and that's what we're doing as a society. I, I quote to you often Romans chapter 1 when it says that you have this progression of sinfulness. And, and and the progression starts with sexuality. And this progression of sexual sin and giving yourself over to homosexuality and sodomy. And, and the progression becomes from your behavior to your thinking. And, and your thinking becomes debased. That's what the word says. And debased doesn't mean that you're totally wicked. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that all you think about is sex. It doesn't mean that. It means that you're irrational. You, you progress. Your sin brings you to irrationality. And, and that's where we are in our culture. And and again, we're not the center of the world, but the world is there, and and the ho- the whole world is there, and it, with with the exception of a few pockets, the Christianity is going into South America and, and to Africa, and they're holding the line at this point in time, but but they're they're following behind us. We followed Europe; they're following behind us, and and so what's happening is we're living in a world of irrationality. Now, most of us, our age and in our class, we're going to live through that and die and, and it's probably not going to have a great effect upon us. But if the Lord tarries, the next generation is going to suffer terribly. And, and I, that, that saddens me. It doesn't leave me without hope because my hope's in Christ. But it saddens me that sin does that and we gave into it. And when I say we, we. We, we gave into it. And, and so what happens when Jesus said, Blessed is he who keeps the words of this book, it means that we, we live not for today. So we live to the glory of God, not just in our own personal behavior, but but we we think, what do I do with my life? What do I do with my resources? Do I spend them upon myself? Do I give them away? Do do I spend them upon the gospel? Do I spend them upon missions? Do, Do I care about people to the right degree? Each of us has a different degree. My degree is not where your degree is. That's up to you and God. And and God has a degree for you as He does for me. And we have to find that. And and we have to respond to God with that. And anything less than that is that we're not listening to the words of this book. We're not living in light of Christ's coming. We're, We're not living in the hope of salvation. We're living in the hope of what we own and how comfortable we are, and our health, and all of that, as we well know in our class, can evaporate in a moment, as some of you have experienced. I don't know about you. you know, I told you earlier I enjoy the teaching of Revelation, but it's been hard. It, it, it's serious. It's about life. It's about how we live our life. It's it's about. It's about are are we living our life for the glory of God? Are we living and enjoying being a Christian in this age and enjoying the blessing of what has happened in our society that we can hold in our hand and in our bank account and be happy in doing so? And I give into that some. And that is not honoring to the Lord. So the last message, the authority of the Bible, the blessedness of obeying the word of God... And then He gives us the proper response. Now look at verse 8 and 9. Now John saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God, worship God. When we hear the word of God, we should worship God. That's the purpose of church. At, at church, we, we come to be edified to worship God. We, we come to learn of God. We come to learn of Him and to worship. That our heart be poured out toward Him in gratitude and gratefulness and adoration. And, and that is the worship. That we have. I don't think John here, you know, once before, John tried in Revelation, John tried to worship an angel and the angel rebuked him. I don't think here, in my opinion, he didn't want to worship the angel. He was just doing it in the presence of the angel and it bothered the angel. He said, No, don't do that. We're just, we're fellow servants. Let's worship God and and not not what we have. He's saying, Not what I'm telling you is not to be worshiped. God is to be worshiped. Knowledge is not to be worshiped. God is to be worshiped. Our understanding of the things in Revelation is not to be worshiped. God is to be worshiped. And then we read about um, the time, the timing of what's happening. Verse 10 And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now, remember back uh, in months gone by, we looked in Daniel, and, and Daniel gives us an outline of revelation. And I've said to you then, and I say it to you again, you're never going to understand the whole Bible unless you understand Daniel's prophecy, especially chapter 7 and verse chapter 9. And you're never going to understand tribulation in the millennial kingdom unless you understand Daniel's prophecy. And then you remember when we read that God told Daniel to seal that book until the time of the end. And here's the time of the end. And now he's saying, don't seal this book. This, this is to be made known. This is to be Proclaimed. This is to let people know that this is the time of the end. This is the end of things. This is the consummation of the plan of God, the purpose of God for the world itself. And so don't seal this book. For the time is at hand. And then verse 11, he said, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And you know, if you just read that casually, you're thinking, okay, they're in eternity. How can there be unrighteous? Or how how can there be people who are filthy? Uh, how, How can that be... Un, people be unjust. But John's not in eternity yet. John's looking and he's saying when these things happen, when these things happen, judgment has already fallen. And, and whoever is unjust is going to continue to be unjust. Whoever's unrighteous is going to continue to be unrighteous. They're going to be in, in the lake of fire at this point in time. Never going to be a change. There never second chance. There is never... Um, that there's not universalism. Everyone's not going to come out of hell at some point of repentance and believe in Christ and live happily ever after in heaven. It's never going to happen. And, and so he's saying that those who are holy. And how do we become holy? I don't know about you this morning. If you know Christ is Savior, you're holy. I'm holy not because of my behavior, not because of my worth, but because of Christ. I am set apart for Christ By the indwelling and sealing of the Holy Spirit. See, that's Bible truth. Okay, so that makes us holy. And he's saying that's always going to be true. I'm always, I'll never reject Christ in heaven. I'll always be holy. So he's saying there's this, when the time comes, when these things come to pass, there is a dividing line and it will be an eternal dividing line it will never ever change for, for any person that's just serious stuff you remember where were we back in chapter 18 19 and when the temple of God was closed in heaven and when the doors of the temple were shut grace came to an end and then judgment fell. So, um, when judgment comes, those who are in their sins will remain forever in their sins. And those of us who know Christ will always know Christ. We will always have Christ. His name will be in our forehead. And then we have the promise of the Lord. The Bible ends with promises and warnings and invitation. And the promise of the Lord in verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Quickly means suddenly, means imminent, anytime. Could be anytime. We know that 2,000 years have passed uh, since this was written. And so we know it didn't mean that it's going to be next day or anything, but it means at any time. And, and Jesus says the same thing that He says here, back in Matthew, talking to His disciple, that I'm I'm come quickly, it'll be sudden, it'll be it'll be um, like like an enemy breaking in, it'll be very sudden. And so the time is at hand that day's it, going to come. And then He teaches, as we've studied already in Revelation, that there is a reward for our works. That's going to take place in the Bema Seat of Judgment when we're raptured. And we're going in that, while, while the tribulation is going on on earth, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord going through the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in that marriage supper of the Lamb, Paul describes in Corinthians that there will be a judgment of our works, Christians' works. And, and what I have done for the glory of God and, and, and will be it's raining, isn't it? So, what, what I've done for the glory of God in my life, and it doesn't, mean that, it doesn't mean the major works that I've done. It doesn't mean that, but it means my motive. How I've lived for the glory of God will be rewarded with, with reward. What I haven't done for the glory of God, even though it might have been ministry, What I have not done for the glory of God or what I have not done in my marriage or what I have not done in your presence or what I have not done in my relationship, what I have not done in my own heart toward God will be burned up. It will be as wood, hay and stubble and will be burned up. God knows every thought. He knows every motive. He knows every action. And every one of those will come into judgment. And we will give an account. And there will be a reckoning for us who know Christ. Not for our sin but for our works. And so when he's saying this here, it's just he's reiterating that that's what's going to happen is that we will give an account. Everyone. I don't know about you. That worries me to some degree. That should motivate me to, to, as all that I said earlier, to to challenge how I'm living and and what my motive is for living, what my motive is for all, all that I do and all that I have and all that I'm a steward over. Okay, where are we now? All right, down in verse 13. I'm the Alpha Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. Basically, we've heard that before. What he's saying is that I am the reality. I'm the reality of all things. I am the reality of creation. I'm the reality of salvation. I'm the reality of time. I'm the reality of eternity. I am the reality of all things. You can trust me. You can believe in me. You can depend upon me. I am your God. Then let me look at our time. So he is over all things. And then he speaks about the fruit of our reward. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. Again, if you read that in isolation, you would you would think that we get into heaven by our works. But that is not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't it doesn't teach that at all. And you can't read a verse in isolation. But again, it is that we're blessed because of our works. We're blessed because uh, of our motives. And and we have a right to the tree of life, uh, and we enter the gates of the city, and not only the Millennial Kingdom, but also in eternity, because of our trust in Christ, because of that we are holy in Him. And then verse 15: outsider dogs and sorcerers, sexual, mortal, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. So he's making a distinction again between those who are holy, those who are in eternity, and those who were excluded from eternity. So, and the key is that we've trusted in the God for our righteousness. Okay, moving along, we're looking at the invitation of Christ in, in verse 16. I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. You know, you could spend a whole time if you're preaching on that verse about who Christ is and what He wanted to do in the churches, what His plan was for the churches, and uh, we're part of the church, and and we are a church, and He has a plan for us. And that plan has been perverted, even in Baptist churches, to make it man-centered. It means the gospel is about you living a happy life. The gospel is about you having a happy marriage. The gospel is about you raising well-balanced children. The gospel is about you being, using Nehemiah's principles of success in your business. All of that is funk. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that I belong to Christ. I am a servant of Christ. And I am living to the glory of Christ. And, and, and that has to be the focus. And everything else is man-made. Everything else is a perversion of the gospel. Those things are an outcome of living to the glory of God. You can't focus on those things. And our world does. Our Christianity in this world focuses on those things. So... We have the invitation of Christ. I've sent my angel to testify, I am I am the root and offspring of David. It means that I'm the fulfillment of all that happened in the Old Testament. I'm the fulfillment of all the covenant I made with Eve and Adam. And and all the way through David and all the way through the Jewish nation and the promises I made in the millennial kingdom. And I am the bride and morning star. I am I am all the fulfillment of my of my word. And then he says this in verse 17 and the spirit of the bride say, come, that's our job. That's what we're to be doing. We're the bride. We're to be saying to people, come, come to Christ, come, believe, come, repent, come, trust Come come, make him the Lord of your life. Don't come to him for your needs. Come to him for your sin. That's what we're to be doing. And the spirit of the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. I, I put a little note in uh, in your notes that you'll get next week. And let me just give you a little briefing. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I said I happily believe in the sovereignty of God. So no one comes to Christ unless Christ draws him. That's John chapter 6. So what about the people, you say, well, Jerry, what about the people who... Um, are not saved today can anyone believe in Christ and I'm going to say to you from the human side yes from the human side yes they have an invitation to come they have a responsibility to come Acts chapter 7 God's commanded all men everywhere to repent so they have a responsibility to come but why do they not come because they do not thirst They do not believe. They do not thirst. And why do they not look back to verse 15, the end of verse 15? Because they love and practice a lie. They love their sin. Now, what is the lie that they love and practice a lie? And the lie is they don't need a Savior. Their lie is, I need to be a better person, I need to have a better marriage, I need to have better children, we need a better society, we need to elect the right people. But the lie is, is that I don't believe that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I will not repent and bow my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the lie. And and our, our world is bought into that lie. Most churches today have bought into that lie. Isn't that sad? But that is the lie. They love their rebellion, and they don't see it as rebellion. They see it as independence. And so what happens is that from the human side of the equation, they do not thirst. They have no thirst, and they will not come because they have no thirst. But those who hear and those who thirst come. And isn't it interesting when you reflect on it, our thirst is satisfied. Christ satisfies our thirst. The, the water of life is fulfilling, totally fulfilling. And, and one day we'll realize even how much more fulfilling than it, that it actually is. And then we come to a final, final warning. Verse 18, For I testify to everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plague that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Okay. When he says here that you don't take away from the words of the book, you don't add to the words of the book. Is he talking about revelation? He's talking about the Bible. I think here. I, I think he may be just talking about the book of Revelation here, but it applies. I think the principle is throughout the Word of God, and I think you find the principle in the Word of God in, in other places. I want to. I want to remind you. I don't. You, you remember when we studied theology, and, and when we studied theology, we had these concentric circles. Denise reminded me of it this past week. We had these concentric circles uh, of theology and doctrine, and in the center is salvation the death burial and resurrection of christ and and that's the center of, of doctrinal truth Next to that, I jotted it down so I'd, so I'd get it right. Then you have theological truth. This is the next circle. Theological truth is what we believe about the Bible and about the person of Christ. And that, that that's built upon the center about the gospel. To believe the gospel, you have to believe that He is and that He is the Son of God and He died on your behalf. And you have to confess Him with your mouth and, and believe in your heart and you will be saved. Okay, so 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 doctrinal truth outside of that is who God is, the Word of God, the deity of Christ, and all all those things, And, and then you move to the next circle and you have theology. And I, I put it down in this in the second circle is the five solas of the of the Reformation. Sola scripture, you believe scripture is true, sola feeding, of faith. Salvation is by faith alone. Sola grati grace alone, sola Christo, Christ alone, and sola di, dio gloria, glory to God alone. So those things are in those center circles. Salvation by faith in Christ. And then the, then, the, then the things of the Word of God, the, the person of Christ, and all those things in the next circle. And, and then you move to church truth. And the church is to administer the sacraments. Now, not the Catholic sacrament, but the sacrament of baptism and communion. And that's, that is a church. You can't do that on your own. You can't do that when you're on holiday in Rome. You can't do that outside your church. And I don't do it in your church if I'm there, and you don't do it in our church if you're here, unless you're part of this church. And that's what the Bible teaches. And so those things are true. But those things, if you mess that up, it won't send you to hell. But it will mess up your thinking. This is what this works at teaching. And, and then you go from outside of that. And there is biblical truth about how you live in our world. There's biblical truth about all the things I've already said to you. About how you're a stewardship of God's resources in your life. And of your life itself. You are only a steward. And, and those things are biblical truth given to us in the Bible. And you move outside of that and there's liturgy. That means how we do church. And you know most people today have moved that to the center how we do church how we do music how we do whatever whatever and how we spend our time and how we dress in church and how we have these activities that make us happy and how how we do the things that we enjoy and whether we have fellowship in church and whether we we do all of it. we move that down to the center but it's out there it has no bearing on doctrine I'm preaching to you now. I hope you, I, I, you probably already know that. But, but it just frustrates me. I have hope in God, but I don't have much hope in man. I don't have much hope in the churches. You say, Jerry, you're the only one that's right. <laughs> no, no, thank God I'm not. And am I right? I think so. And every do you think so, because you're still here. And you, and you read the Bible. So now you have church authority, and then you have family responsibilities outside of that. And in the end, you have preferences. And and, and sometimes we, we elevate preferences almost to the center about our preference about what we want to believe about salvation, our preference about what we want to believe about church, our preference about what we want to believe about why I'm here and how I should live my life and who can tell me how to live my life. And we have these preferences and we're seeing those things worked out in all this controversy about the vaccines and masks. And it drives me crazy. And, and you have an opinion and I'm, you're entitled to your opinion. But I'm just saying, you know, if we would go to Christ... And, and ask him, what should I do? How should I be? What should my spirit be when I have a discussion with someone? Should my spirit be that I want the benefit of that person I'm having a discussion with or do I want my opinion to be king? I'm confessing to you now. So. And, 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 you know, but seeing, when when we... when. When we do those things, we're adding to the Scripture. We're adding our feelings and our importance to the Scripture. And the plagues are added to us. Now, what's the plagues? Never, we're never going to lose our salvation. But the plague is, I'm going to always live skewed with this high importance of myself. I'm going to always live skewed with me being at the center of my life instead of Christ being at the center of my life. Do you understand that? See, this is the Word of God. You do that, and you're going to live a life that's skewed. You may not even know it. Because, you know, if if I walk like this, I get used to walking like this. If my theology is like this, I begin to think this is right and it's normal. And I'm not... I know we have people we have had together i'm not making fun of anyone i'm just i'm here to give you a physical illustration of what happens to us spiritually is that if we add to the word of god or we take away from the seriousness of the word of god we are even though we know christ we live with the plagues that come from not being right with him for not honoring him as we should I've lived with them. I've suffered. And so have you probably if you would look back with honesty and ask God to show you. And you, we have lived with that. And some of us bear scars from it. It doesn't mean we have to totally understand scripture. It doesn't mean we have to interpret it properly. It simply means we surrender and submit ourselves in humility and 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 honesty and we ask God to lead us and give us the right spirit and we live led by the spirit and the word and not by our feelings and our desires Um, we end now the old testament ends with uh, a final invitation and a benediction You know what I was gonna say? I have it I have in my notes, and so I want you to understand that when you get the notes through the email. You remember when we started in Revelation, and we talked about the three different kinds of how people approach interpretation of prophecy in the Bible, and it's because they don't understand, they don't apply Daniel to Revelation, and 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 so they don't apply what Jesus said, Matthew 24. And, and so, what happens? You have a all millennial people who believe there is never going to be a millennial, which denies the promises that God made to the nation of Israel. You have people who believe in post millennial; they mean that we're living in the millennial kingdom now, and when Christ comes, there'll be eternity. That, that we through the church are conquering the world, and we li- This is the millennial kingdom. I don't think we're doing a good job if that's if that's true. And, and you know, and that's and, and those. And then there's premillennial is how we believe the Bible is interpreted because it's very clear from Daniel and Revelation and all that Paul taught in his epistles. It's just very clear. And, And when you go to those first two, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It doesn't mean any of those things, but it diminishes the glory of God. It takes the word of God and says that God didn't know what he was talking about when he made all those promises to the nation of Israel about a millennial kingdom when Christ would rule upon the throne of David. Because it's never happened and they're saying it's never going to happen until we move into eternity. They say "Well, what that means is Christ rules in our heart today. Now, what about David? Well, you can't deal with that. Christ rules in our heart today, so he's ruling in our world today. And, and see, all, all those things, that takes away from the word of God. And what is the plague of that? Well, the plague of that, again, is that we've made, we've made religion man-centered. We've made Christianity man-centered. We've taken it away from the word of God. And so that's just an illustration that we've seen as we've gone through the book of Revelation. So now we get to the final invitation at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. And the final benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. The Old Testament in Malachi ended with a curse. Jesus said, lest I or God said, lest I bring a curse upon you. That's the last verse in the Old Testament. The New Testament ends with grace. This is the new covenant. This is grace. God has graced us with Christ and the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. He's graced us by putting us in a church where brothers and sisters in Christ either male or female bond or free june or gentile he's graced us with the hope of eternity he has graced us i hope you i hope you understand that and live in that grace. that's what the book of revelation is about this is the glory of god shown to us in grace it's been a blessing to me i hope it has been to you pray with me our father i thank you that we can look in your word this morning uh, Lord, thank You that Your Holy Spirit gives us a measure of understanding. Without it, we couldn't understand these things. Lord, I, I pray that Your Spirit would move uh, in our hearts continually, that we would humble ourselves before You, and, and Lord, live not just for, not live for today, but live for the hope of eternity. Lord, that in all, all of our dealings, that we would look toward eternity. Lord, we wouldn't be like the rich man who hangs on to everything, and that be our hope. And Lord, we are rich, we are blessed, and we're grateful. And, and Lord, but our hope would be when we stand in your presence, and all these things are left behind. So please help us, Lord, and we, we need your help. We're asking for your help. And Lord, we're grateful for the grace that you've given to us. We thank you for your word and the, and the faithfulness of your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you in church.